Hey guys, so today I wanted to read an excerpt from uh, Dennis Prager's commentary on Genesis. And this is an essay about goodness. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this is this is a book that's brought a lot of peace into my life, um, along with um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I bring these two things up because last week we talked about um, belief in God in general and sort of the idea of wrestling with that and the necessity to wrestle with that. And so if you're in that place at all, um, maybe you feel like you have questions that can't be answered. And, you know, I've always tried to come from a place of, I've, I'm sure they can be, uh, they just haven't been yet. So, you know, so we just need better information. So um, one of the books that's really changed my life in that way is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I thought a lot of times, sometimes Christian books can have a tendency to just say some really nice things and try to kind of encourage you and not really go in any um, controversial areas or, uh, you know, they just have kind of a limp-wristed approach, some of them. A lot of them are really great, too, obviously. Um, but Mere Christianity really answered some questions, some really big questions that I had not had addressed before in a really brilliant way. And that book is so dense and so filled with ideas, like one page has so many ideas on it. Um, and it was really a, a life-changing experience. Another one um, that's really meant a lot to me is this commentary on, on Genesis. And so Dennis Prager uh, is a Jewish guy. And so growing up, he, in his like school or whatever, he would spend half the day in Hebrew studies learning you know, everything in Hebrew, I think only like speaking Hebrew and all that stuff. So um, so he really has a great understanding of the original languages that it was written in. And it's not written, it's not written to the choir. You know what I mean? It's written to show the logic and the morality of the Bible in a way that doesn't even need faith to understand the value of. Um, so anyway, this is an essay on goodness. The verse prior to this, they're looking for Isaac's wife. Um, basically, like one of their servants is looking for Isaac's wife. And so she, he goes to this town and waits for at the well for a woman to come by and offer to not only give him some water to drink, but also to offer to water um, his camels, which, uh, according to this, would take about an hour to an hour and a half. And so just a stranger out of the blue, they're just waiting for who would be the person, the stranger, that would offer to do something that, like that, and that that would be the person that became Isaac's wife. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't offer to do that. Uh, but anyway, so this is a really great piece, and I just wanted to, to read it to you. So, um, essay, goodness is more important than anything else. The chief criterion here for choosing Isaac's spouse is goodness. This is the great lesson of the story. This should be the chief criterion for choosing a spouse, a friend, or a business partner. For most people, it is not. People place looks, personality, brains, wealth, or some other aspect of a person ahead of goodness, and often end up paying a terrible price for doing so. Goodness is not enough to ensure a happy marriage, or friendship, or partnership, but it is the single most important ingredient. A rabbi I knew, which, that right there, I just wanted to mention this. I love the specificity of which he speaks and writes. So if there's like, saying, look, it's not enough to make sure uh, you have a great marriage. You need more things than just that. Um, and there are very few people which will speak that specifically and will, you know, call out every little 
um, will call out every little detail so that you know they're not um, bluffing, they're not overstating their case. And it really, over time, you don't really notice it, but over time it really allows you to trust the person you're listening to or reading because you know that they're not, that they're turning over every stone and they're not just going to um, gloss over things because it makes it more simple and more sort of uh, sweet or whatever, that they really um, are in the details in a way that maybe your brain is and you don't want to be the only one. Um, anyway, a rabbi I knew once told me he asked every couple who came to be married by him why they loved each other. One time he told me the woman said, I love him because he's such a good dancer. He refused to conduct the wedding. He had little reason, he told me, to assume the marriage would last. The odd thing about goodness is this. The thing almost everyone in the world most wants everyone else in the world to be is good. Yet, as a rule, what people most want for themselves is to be happy, smart, rich, famous, or powerful. The Torah values goodness above all other human traits. In the Torah, God himself identifies his essence as goodness. That is the primary reason I not only revere the Torah, but love it. For decades, I have asked parents to ask their children, whether 5 or 15, what is it you think I, your mother or father, most want you to be? Happy, smart, successful, or good? Innumerable parents have communicated to me their surprise when their child chose an answer other than good. But it is not surprising. Few parents communicate to their child that they care more about their child's goodness than about their grades or happiness or success. Frequently, when those children hear their parents bragging about them, it is usually about their intellectual, athletic, or artistic attainments, not their goodness. Far more parents have bragged to me about their child's attendance at a prestigious university than about their child's character. Why then would the children think their goodness is what matters most to their parents? Another reason most people want to be something else more than they want to be good is they believe they are already good. Why aspire to be something you think you already are? Given how much meanness, dishonesty, and selfishness there is in the world, it is almost incredible how many people think they are good. And why do most people think they are good? Because they assess their motives, not their behavior, or what results from it. And few people think they ever mean to do harm. Therefore, no matter how much bad people do, they continue to assess their motives, I meant well, rather than their actual behavior, or the effects of their behavior. People assess others by their behavior, but they assess themselves by their motives. How do you know if you are a good person? One way is contained in a theory I developed regarding life's three mirrors, the third of which reveals character. If we want to see our face and body, we look into a mirror. That is the first mirror. What if we want to see our mind or our character? Are there mirrors for those? It turns out there are. The second mirror is the mirror of our mind. It is our writing. If you want to see your physical reflection, look at a mirror. If you want to see your mind, look at your writing. You will then be looking at a reflection of what is in your mind. And if your writing is not clear, it is most likely because your thinking is not clear. I first came to realize this when I was in college and assigned to read essays and books whose writing was almost impossible to decipher. 
Like most students, I assumed the reason was my intellect was inferior to that of the writer, usually a professor. But I soon came to realize the problem wasn't mine, it was the writer's. The reason the writing was convoluted was the author's thinking was convoluted. This is disturbing to those who equate opacity with profundity. Now what if you want to see your character? What mirror is there for that? The third mirror, the mirror of our character, is the people we attract into our lives. Good people attract good people, bad people do not. Of course, even good people will occasionally be fooled and bring bad people into their lives. But those who find they repeatedly attract people who cause them grief and who rarely attract quality people would do well to assess their character. If you assess your friends honestly and conclude they are good people, you are probably a good person. That's one of the main reasons they are in your life. So this is a really good piece. There are a few things I wanted to take away from this and add to this. Um, it's hard to, sometimes you really need to not have people in your life, you know, that are damaging or that are not helpful to where you want to wind up because we are all so influenceable, you know? So if I encounter someone that I do not think I want to have in my life, how do I keep them out of my life basically, but not be smug or arrogant or uh, look down my nose at them in a way that would harm them? deeply and cause them to turn away uh, from thinking that anything other than what they are would even accept them, you know. For many people, they believe that the straight and narrow, the people on the straight and narrow, the people in church, just don't even, wouldn't even accept them. They just don't feel comfortable there. They don't feel accepted there. And there are a few reasons for that. One of them is um, everyone is delicate. So, you know, we here we are barely holding our stuff together, and then someone who uh, needs help comes along, and they're treated poorly. I see this at churches sometimes. Someone who really needs help will come along, and they won't feel, and the church will not accept them, because the people in the church will feel so unstable themselves that someone who threatens the stability of their life, rather than being helped and loved, is sort of shunned. Now, the person thinks that they're just hated, or that they're, they're just being looked down upon. But in reality, it's just that the quote, quote, good people are so unstable that anyone that threatens that stability uh, is sort of thrown under the bus. Whereas if we were genuinely stronger, and if we genuinely had everything together more so, we could actually help people who are in need without it threatening our stability. But if you find yourself um, being sort of condescended to, um, there are a few reasons, which I have, and I'm, you probably certainly have, uh, by who, people you would assume to be, you know, church people or good people or whatever. You know, there are, there are a few reasons for that. One of them is that. One of them that maybe they assume that you threaten their um, stability in some way and they're barely holding it together. The other one is maybe they're just not very honest. And so they don't, you sort of point that out to them. Maybe your existence sort of requires them to uh, to encounter more of a real picture of who they are and uh, and they don't want to see that um, the one other thing I wanted to to dive into here is is this quote the thing that we want everyone else to be is good but the thing that we want to be ourselves is usually to be happy smart rich famous or powerful 
In mere Christianity, there's a great line which says, if you do not embody some of the characteristics of what it means to be a Christian, there's no outward circumstance which could create a heaven for you. The idea that if you are internally corrupt, nothing outside can make you experience what heaven is. And I don't know if he was speaking, I think he was speaking literally and metaphorically, and and who knows how many levels he was saying that on. But basically, that the idea of uh, belief in the God of the Bible is to make you so uh, internally whole and internally good that you can experience joy from smaller and smaller things. And I've seen this from being married, that my taste in, let's say, in uh, TV shows even, has changed since I've been married. You know, I'm starting to get into these, like, shows where people will, like, fix up a house and renovate it and all that stuff. All this kind of boomer stuff, which I love. (laughs) And in the past, when I was single uh, for a real long time and really becoming cynical and really becoming jaded, uh, I couldn't enjoy anything like that. My taste was darker and more twisted and stuff. And I'm not saying that I'm uh, enlightened now and I'm, you know, just, you know, just floating around. It's not like that. But to see a small change, to see that I can take enjoyment from smaller things that I can get more enjoyment out of, let's say, a TV show about renovating a house, that is showing me that that marriage has changed who I am for the better. Um... And the role of the devil is the exact opposite. The role of the devil, and you see this um, amongst uh, pop stars and people like that. I was listening to a song by Post Malone recently, who most of you will know, and it's like it's a really like dark sort of uh, near suicidal song. And here's a guy who, you know, just has all the fame, all the sex, all the drugs. He's just he's that guy of the moment. You know, he's the man of the moment basically. Um, and here he is writing this really dark song, sort of talking about uh, flirting with suicide. And that that is the devil's ultimate desire. To give you enough of something that you desire to keep you going to the next thing. But, the, but to make it so that each time you can enjoy it less and less. To basically, to someone in his shoes and to all of us, the devil is saying, go get that out there. Go, just go get the sex, go get the drugs, and then every single time you engage in it, you can enjoy it less and less, you can feel it less and less, that the devil's ultimate desire is that you not be able to feel anything, um, which leads to suicide, which leads to um, nihilism and hopelessness, and then I can see this playing out amongst people like him, like Post Malone, that that is the ultimate desire, the ultimate desire of the devil is to lie, cheat, kill and destroy and we don't generally actually believe that you know a lot of times we think that the devil has all the cool stuff and and christianity or god or whatever that they just they just want you not to touch it because if you ever do touch it you'd never come back to the straight and narrow and that is just not um that's just not how it works the desire of the devil is to give you something cheap and and to make into every time you engage in it to be able to feel it less and less until you can't feel anything and the desire of God is to clean you out is to purify us so much that we can feel enjoyment from smaller and smaller things 
that happiness is basically the ability to find enjoyment in a small thing. And that the more, um, the more the character of someone increases for the better, the more enjoyment you can find out of, out of small things. And, uh, and that's sort of the, the track that I'm on now. You know, as you guys know, uh, I come from a real cynical frame of mind, and I really want to give it up. Um, I really want to leave it behind because it really ruins every moment uh, that it encounters. It ruins the joy and the happiness of every moment, basically. So I want to take the the traits that I have, but I want to push beyond that. And I want to go past what is past cynicism and really see the dangers in life, see the corruption in life, but still believe in what is good and still go towards that thing that is good and leave behind this sort of wanting to be cool because uh, because I'm cynical or because, you know what I mean, uh, that impulse to push past that and go, what is actually good um, and how do we get there? The final thing is that I heard something recently that the most valuable natural resource a society can um, possess is mutual trust. And the example given was Venezuela, where they have a lot of oil, they have a lot of natural resources, but they also have a ton of corruption and they have very little trust within their society. And that due to that, they're very poor, a lot of people are starving, and it's a really bleak situation there. The other example given was the country of Japan, where they have no oil, they have essentially no natural resources, but mutual trust is very high, so they're very successful. And that that is the most valuable thing a society can have in order to thrive. And so this idea of goodness, goodness is something that we don't, we all know what it is, but we don't really put it up into the light and say, this is the very most important thing um, that often. So in whatever way I can do that, um, I wanted to just share this with you. And anyway, I just got a lot out of this little piece and I wanted to read it to you guys. And and I hope it's been um, thought provoking and, and encouraging to you as well. Anyway. I love you guys, and uh, I'll see you next week.